Call for Action presents Of Consuming Interest, a public service show that discusses scams, deceptive offers, and other consumer concerns. Here's the director of WJLA 7 Call for Action and your host, Shirley Rooker. I love my gadgets. Do you love your gadgets? You love the ability to communicate. You can talk to people all over the world through your phones and through your your computers. Well, you know, there's a downside to all of this. That's the vulnerability, the hackers, the fact that your personal information can be stolen, that hackers can intrude not only on your financial life, but your personal life. They invade your homes. They invade your pocketbooks. Well, we're going to talk about some of these issues and some of the the major problems that have happened just recently, actually. My guest is John Breo. He is the National Consumers League Vice President of Public Policy, Telecommunications, and Fraud. John, welcome to Of Consuming Interest. Hi, Shirley. Thanks for having me. Well, you know, there's some interesting things going on these days, and and you publish some, uh, you you have some publications that talk to about it. Your fraud.org, and then what you call the data insecurity. People can go to fraud.org to sign up for it. It's a week, what a monthly newsletter. That's right. So our fraud alerts are a monthly email that we send out to consumers, to media, to members uh, of Congress and other policymakers about emerging trends in fraud. So uh, through our fraud.org website, we collect uh, thousands of complaints every year. Uh, and because of those complaints, we see trends emerging, sort of new twists on old scam, new tech that the, the, the scammers are employing, new ways they're trying to get money out of you. And so our goal with these fraud alerts is to get ahead of those trends, to let consumers know to what to look out for before they become victims. Uh, the Data and Security Digest is an email that comes out every other week. Uh, and it basically highlights the uh, news that consumers can use when it comes to data security issues. So here are the new ransomware threats that are affecting towns in Texas, like we're seeing right now, or what you can do around the latest breach that's occurred, or what Congress may be doing to try and pass uh, stronger laws to protect us all. Um, that's what the Data and Security Digest uh, is. They're both great resources. Consumers can go to www.fraud.org and sign up for them. It seems to me like there's a there's needs to be a several-pronged approach on here. Educated consumers, businesses that really develop everything they can possibly to protect us through the, their technological uh, de- um, abilities to block the hackers, mm-hmm. and then the, the awareness and government action as well. So there's a lot of there's a lot of players in this whole thing. It seems to me. Would you Would you think? Yeah, you know, there, there's no one silver bullet that's going to solve right. this problem. Uh, our data and security crisis is something that's uh, grown up over the past 30 years of the internet being a part of our lives. Scammers have been taking advantage of, of the web and of technology since as far back as the telephone or telegraph. Mm-hmm. And now with the internet, it's even easier for scammers from around the world to target uh, everybody here in the United States. And that's one of the problems is that we don't even know where these frauds come from, where the hackers come from, where they are sometimes. I think they use multiple tricks to keep from being identified. If I, I don't totally understand it, but I know it's like you're moving from phone booth to phone booth. That's the old technology. Right. Yeah, it, it, uh, modern uh, crooks are from all over the world. I like to say that they are as uh, sophisticated and networked and savvy as any Silicon Valley CEO. Uh, unfortunately, rather than building technology that we all want to use, they're using their brains to defraud millions of consumers out of billions of dollars. John, do you have any idea how much of this is individual hackers, groups of hackers, uh, criminal groups, 
or government-sponsored in some cases. Yeah, well, you know, the estimates vary. Uh, They're all over the place, but certainly I can tell you that all of those uh, groups that you just talked about are involved in scamming. Uh, We see organized phishing attacks coming out of Eastern Europe, uh, out of the former uh, Soviet Union, uh, that are trying to hack into businesses, steal data that they can then later later resell uh, on the dark web. You see sort of low-tech uh, uh, spoofing campaigns coming out of places like the Philippines, where a lot of our robocall problem is coming out of right now, and places like India, where you have call center fraud. You have people in uh, Jamaica and the Caribbean who are impersonating uh, people from the IRS or Social Security Uh, calling us at all hours of the night to try and get sensitive information or getting us to send money. So it's really an international problem. And there are certainly plenty of of homegrown scammers right here in the U.S. So uh, there's no sort of like one place in the world that's safe from scammers, unfortunately. I just heard the other day of of people in Japan who are getting scammed uh, uh, seniors there. Uh, Basically, the scammers are in places like uh, Southeast Asia and China who are learning Japanese specifically so that they can call elderly people in Japan because there's a huge older population of Japanese to try and scam them out of money. Uh, And it happens because the scammers see an opportunity. Uh, The targets they're going after have liquid funds available to them. So somebody's going to try and steal it. Uh, It's really a global problem. It is. You're absolutely right. No matter where you live, you can be vulnerable. And, And no matter what your age, actually, for that matter, Um, because we've seen younger folks who fall victims to these frauds as well. So I'm sure you have as well. You have too. Let's talk about some of the things that have happened uh, recently that have been kind of interesting and a little bit scary. I mean, I think everybody heard about the Equifax breach, which um, turns out the solutions to that weren't all that they seemed, were they? You and I were talking about before that we went on the air. Yes. So uh, unfortunately, the the Equifax breach was one that no matter what steps you took uh, to protect your own data, uh, you you could have fallen victim to this anyway. Because Equifax has so much data on all of us that they use for very legitimate purposes. Unfortunately, that data got compromised uh, because Equifax was sloppy in protecting it. And uh, the FTC recently uh, levied a, a pretty large uh, fine on them uh, and to try and get some of that money back into the hands of consumers. So they offered uh, free credit monitoring, which most of us already have available to us because of other hacks. Uh, but interestingly, they offered uh, consumers refund checks. Uh, and unsurprisingly, millions of consumers uh, asked the FTC to send them a check. And so the FTC had to turn around a few days later and said, because of unprecedented interest, uh, in this, we're not going to be able to give you as much money as we said we were going to give you. So, you know, consumers are kind of, you're, you're damned if you do, you're damned if you don't, gotcha. unfortunately. Yep. Yeah, and yeah, you're absolutely right. And the problem the problem being is that when you hit a huge number of group of people, like in the Equifax one, I can understand the company not having the money to give all of this. And, you know, I'm a great supporter of our credit bureaus because they make our life possible. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, you want to make sure that they're protecting us. Let me ask you this. Maybe you don't know the answer to it. But when something like this happens and we learn about it, why can't this be applied across an industry? Is it just because there's something so unique about that one particular system that allowed the hacker to get in? Or is it something that... You know, is there a universal lesson to be learned? I don't know enough about the technology, and perhaps this is not a question you can answer. But uh, it seems to me like we should be in a learning process 
from what happens in these these hacks where we've lost so much information? How do we prevent it again? And I know a lot of people are looking at that. But before you answer, let's just take a brief pause here to let our listeners know that they're tuned in to Off Consuming Interest. I'm Shirley Rooker. My guest today is John Breo. He is the National Consumers League Vice President of Public Policy, Telecommunications and Fraud, and we're discussing some of the data breaches and how they have impacted consumers. So back to my question before we took a break, John. Are we learning? Are we learning from what's happening in these uh, these data breaches? We are learning. Uh, I, I think that companies are increasingly seeing the value of investing in protecting their users' data. Um, unfortunately, the scammers are also learning. <laughs> and so yeah. it's a, it's a, you, you hear this term thrown around in the data security world very often is that it's, it's a whack-a-mole uh, game where you take care of the problem in one place like Equifax, it pops up somewhere else. Yeah. yeah. So I've often heard people com- compare the data security problem and how you address it to uh, things like hurricanes, right? We can't predict when a hurricane uh, uh, may fall, may, may happen. Um, but we have standards in place, building codes that mm-hmm. say, for example, that your house has to be able to withstand uh, winds up to a certain part. We require people who decide to build their ha- their homes in hurricane-prone areas to get insurance for that. And I think the same could be said about data security. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a good we, analogy. Th- yeah. there's, there's, there's no way to stop all breaches and be 100% secure. But there are steps that companies and individuals can take to reduce the risk. Unfortunately, uh, you know, most of us can, can understand the risk of having our home blown away in a hurricane, but it's very easy for companies that are collecting vast amounts of data about us, both mm-hmm. through our own actions and involuntarily, like in something like Equifax, mm-hmm. to look the other way. Investing in data security is expensive. Uh, and every dollar that you spend on protecting your data security looks like a waste of money until you get breached. And until you really found out you really needed it. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, unfortunately, there aren't strong data security standards in our law that require companies to make that kind of investment. And that- you know, and but one of the problems is if you become so restrictive, then you you are putting you're stifling innovation, you're stifling businesses, you're putting a very heavy financial burden on. There's got to be a balancing act in there somewhere that that we can do that it's going to help consumers and businesses at the same time. I, I don't know what it is. Sure. Well, we, do, we certainly don't want to put out a put out a business, uh, you know, no, a small startup not. because of because of requirements that they protect the data. But we actually think that those two are not mutually exclusive goals. Uh, mm-hmm. By protecting consumers' data, you build trust. You do. And that's trust right. is essential to our modern economy. And if consumers stop trusting the people that they're giving data to, they're going to stop giving it to them. You and got a good point there. That's bad for the whole economy. But now it doesn't seem like people don't like Facebook, for example, who is huge, huge fine, mm-hmm. huge, huge yep. fine. Yep. Billions, I gather. Yes. <laughs> Whoa. Can't even think Biggest of those Biggest fine numbers. in FTC history. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. Um, what's going to happen to that money? Do you have any idea? Well, the... Uh, Typically, what the FTC tries to do is uh, give money back to consumers. That's for the first strike. In this case, uh, Facebook was uh, a, a second or some would even say a third time offender. And so that's one of the reasons why the FTC was able to levy such a big fine. Now, is that money going to end up in the Treasury? I think that's probably more likely than consumers getting a check from right. from the yeah. FTC for. for what I think it would does. be very hard to to determine damages for one thing and distribution of 
of funds for the other. But that's okay. I don't mind money coming into the treasury. God knows we need it. <laughs> uh, but but going back to the the Facebook thing, you would think that a tech giant right. would know how to protect itself. But this isn't the first time this has happened. Well, you know the 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 scale at which companies like Facebook are acquiring consumers' data mm-hmm. um, presents a, a challenging engineering problem when you have data on 2 billion people. Whoa. You know, yeah. that's, that's how many users that Facebook has globally. You can imagine the amount of data that's coming into their system. And you may be able to protect some of it, but, but it's, it's, just, it's, it's difficult to protect it all. Which isn't to say that, that Facebook should be let off the hook. Right. Uh, they should have been protecting the, the, the data better than they were. They had practices in place that allowed companies like Cambridge Analytica to take that data and use it in ways that none of us oh, would yeah. have expected. Oh, yeah, we would not have wanted to know. Right? Yeah. Exactly. Um, so there, there's, I think, you know, as, as they often say, with great power comes great responsibility. Uh, when you're talking about a company as big as Facebook, mm-hmm. I would say they mm-hmm. probably have more responsibility than most when it comes to data security. Well, one of the things that you wrote about, and I hate to pick on Boeing, but it was the Boeing 787 right. uh, being vulnerable to... Uh, I mean, it just makes me shudder to think about when you're up in an airplane and a hacker's targeting you. Um, what are, What are some of the specific things or, or from the Boeing 787 that makes it so vulnerable? Well, and we've ta- this has been talked about it before. This is not brand new. Yeah, you know, the the there's been uh, certainly I, I wouldn't discourage anyone from from flying uh, because of of uh, oh, data security concerns. Oh, yeah. We all have to fly to get places we want to go. Uh, and to be honest with you, uh, most of the attacks on something like a 787 or other airplanes have been done sort of theoretically. Mm-hmm. Uh, you see them done by hackers at hacking conferences just to sort of show what they're able to do. Yeah, that's not to say that these are. This is not important. Um, you know, the right. uh, you know if you if you've flown anywhere recently, chances are you've seen the infotainment system uh, on the uh, in front of you. Um, you know, those systems can be vulnerable. And if you can get into that system, uh, chances are that you can probably get into other systems, much more sensitive systems. Sure. Um, what about the cameras that are installed in some of these airplanes, the, the seatbacks? I think that is an infringement of my privacy. Yeah. That just really frosts me. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I, I think, you know, we should all be carrying uh, the little, little uh, stickers. Little stickers. Uh, I know I have one on the camera on my laptop. Same here. Um, and, you know, if, uh, unfortunately, there are so many cameras all around us, not just, uh, you know, honestly, if I was worried but, but about these cameras. Are, these are in our homes. Yes. So they're, that's a little, little bit different. And I think everybody has to has to make a decision about what they're comfortable with. Right. You're um, right. Yeah. And, we were talking before we went on the air. We were talking about personal assistance. Yeah. And whether or not you, you're comfortable with it. I'm not. But. I don't pe- a lot of people who do. So. But you know what? This is this is what gets to the point I was just talking about earlier. That uh, if if people stop trusting the technology, they'll stop using it. Yeah, that's true. And so, so we've got to make sure the companies have got to make sure that they're protecting the consumers, or they're going to find themselves without a product, but being not being able to sell the product. So, yeah, yeah, and, you're right. And and I don't. I've I've never run into sort of a tech company that that seems intent. I mean, apart from fraudsters, it seems intent on wanting to, you know, breach our data. But there's a tension in wanting to make as much money off of the consumer's sure. data as possible. And well, sometimes it overwhelms common sense when it comes yeah, to privacy right, and data security. Right. Well, you know, I think we all have to sit back and think we have a valuable commodity and that is our information. But unfortunately, the companies have it and they use it. And sometimes we're victimized by it. So 
I guess you have to look at it in in several aspects as to the what it provides you in mm-hmm. terms of convenience and ease. For example, shopping online. Right. I love it. I mean, what can I say? So easy. I, I love having unlimited email. Oh yeah. For free. Same here. Exactly. I mean, this is this is this is the uh, <laughs> right. this is the the uh, conundrum. People often talk about the privacy paradox uh, in 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 sort of the privacy and data security world. When you poll consumers and ask them, you know, what do you think about uh, privacy, or is it important to you? Right. Uh, overwhelmingly, privacy is important. Companies should be taking steps to protect. But they it. don't really live that out sometimes. Let, the, let's just take a brief pause here on that happy note. <laughs> and our, you're listening to of consuming interest. I'm Shirley Wooker. My guest is John Breo. He is the National Consumer League's Vice President of Public Policy, Telecommunications, and Fraud. And we're talking about all of those things. Very interesting uh, topics here because they affect all of us, whether we think they do or not. You may not be a big online user and you may think, well, I'm pretty private. But you can bet that your credit was in Equifax, your information. But, John, what happens to this information? Okay, so Equifax has a breach. Mm -hmm. They're not the first ones and they probably won't be the last. Where does that information go? And when are we waiting for the other shoe to drop that they actually attack us as individuals and into our bank accounts? I mean, I don't know how as a consumer, you can't worry about it too much because you never get any sleep. Um, how What do consumers do to get some control over information? Or is that even possible today? It's definitely possible to get some control. Um, some. That's the some, key. Some. That's there's, no the such, there's no such thing as 100% data security. Right. And there's often a trade-off between convenience and security. Uh, so, for example, uh, in Equifax, uh, one step the consumers should take uh, to better protect themselves is to uh, do a credit freeze. Uh, this is where you call up the credit bureaus. You right. say, I want to freeze my credit. Uh, and they'll give you a special code to unfreeze it if you choose so later on. But once that freeze is in place, then no one can access your credit report. And uh, you can't get any credit. You can't go into a department store and say, oh, yeah, I want to open up a new line of credit because it takes a few days, I think, to get that reversed. Yeah, well, this is the security versus convenience exactly. Uh, exactly. problem. But I think on balance, uh, you know, most consumers should strongly consider getting a credit freeze just because most of us aren't running around doing right. things that would require somebody to access our uh, credit report on a daily basis. On the other well, hand, know, crooks th- want to access our credit 24-7. Oh, absolutely. They love to do it. One of the things that I always tell consumers is that you have to look at all your bills. Mm-hmm. This is really one of the first keys that something is going wrong. I mean, that sounds so simple, but you really need to go through item by item. And if there's something there you don't recognize, check it out. I mean, we had, this is a years ago, we had a, a credit card fraud aimed at us and it was a pizza place somewhere out in Maryland. It was using it to buy pizza. They had somehow compromised our credit card. Mm-hmm. And this charge showed up, and I said to my husband, I haven't been out there eating pizza, have you? And, uh, well, it turns out he hadn't either. Right. But it was a charge there. So when we started tracking it down, we found that this that the credit card company actually just changed our credit card number, which is a nuisance because you have to go change it in all these places. But, but nevertheless, it was just a beginning of the type of fraud that can happen, but there are little things that you can do, too, to help protect yourself, and that's just to keep an eye on all those accounts. Yeah. You know, one way that uh, – the, the, And that's uh, so simple, simple to do, especially if you do it online. Well, one of the things that we do at my house, actually, is uh, all of our bills 
um, whenever they say, you know, do you want to go paperless? You get those notifications all the time. We always decline those uh, because at least from my point of view, if I get a piece of paper in the mail, yeah. I've got to do something with that. you got to look at it. If I get it, just an email <laughs> saying your bill has been posted, it's very easy to just, uh, just ignore just it. Say, oh, well, ignore good. It. I don't have to worry about that this month. Yeah. Yep. So sticking with paper paper bills, I think, is, is one way that to help mm-hmm. consumers stay on top of that. Now, there are lots of services out there that'll that'll help to monitor uh, these bills, look for uh, uh, possible fraud. But again, it's the security versus convenience That's to, exactly to right. allow those services to do that. You have They're to give, give them access <laughs> to your data. So it, it's, it's a constant trade-off. Um, but, you know, another step that I think consumers can take to better protect themselves that's fairly easy uh, is to use a password manager. Mm-hmm. So most of us, you know, consumers have a stunningly large number of uh, accounts on services across the Internet, things that we've signed up for uh, years ago that we don't even remember. That's right. And each one of those can be vulnerable to a breach. Now, the problem is that we re- consumers tend to reuse the same password again and again because we can't remember hundreds of different passwords. So using a password manager, it's just a little add-on you can add to your browser or add into your to your phone. Uh, it'll You'll have one password, remember. That's your master password. Make sure that one is strong. But then the manager basically can create unique passwords for all those different accounts that allows you... I have lists of passwords, I'm afraid. Yes. So this, this is something that will actually... Most consumers can use. That's uh, not difficult technologically, and it is. Can it, you trust the company that does it? Well, it's an app, right? It, it's an app or an add-on to your to your uh, uh, to your browser. And like I said, there's no 100% safe solution, but you do reduce your risk by having. But you got to know the company that's offering it to you because they're going to have all that information. They will have all that information, but it's better to have one company at least you with could a go strong blame them for everything <laughs> rather than having the same password across sure. lots of different. What do they do? Websites. They issue. So when you go in there and you put in your master password, then they they tell you what the password is for that particular account, or do they generate random passwords? They'll generate they, random passwords oh, for I different like accounts. That. So I don't even ha- like for half of my accounts now because I've been using Password Manager for mm-hmm. so long. Uh, I don't even know what the password is for that mm-hmm. account. All I know is that my Password Manager automatically enters it in and lets me into the account. Now that one master password, uh, uh, I, I use a company called LastPass. I'm not endorsing them, but I use LastPass. Mm-hmm. That account not only is it uh, a long and strong password, it's also locked down with multi-factor authentication, which is another thing that most consumers can do. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, most of us are used to logging into accounts. You put in your email address, your username, and mm-hmm. password, mm-hmm. and you get in. Well, that's very vulnerable uh, to hacking. Of course. So with multi-factor authentication, what you'll see is that if somebody tries to log in to that account from a new computer, or if you try and log into your account from a new computer or a new device, you'll be prompted for to provide a second code. Mm-hmm. Usually this is a code that may be provided to you with a text message to your cell phone, for example, mm-hmm. or through a secure app that generates the code. Um, that's another step that'll help uh, most consumers reduce their risk. It's not foolproof, but it definitely but makes it gives you, you safer. Well, it gives you some control. I mean, you don't you sometimes like just having a sense that you're doing something positive for yeah. yourself? Yeah. I mean, I think that's that can be, but it also does some good, obviously, because it does make it more difficult. Well, particularly for your very sensitive accounts. Oh, so yes, things like your, your financial your, your accounts. Your financial information, your primary email account, uh, your social media accounts. Those mm-hmm. are the ones that I think uh, uh, hackers most often try to target because they're often keys 
to getting into lots mm-hmm. of other accounts. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So lock those it ones down. Opens the door to your life. Yep. What can I say? Well, you know, this has been great, John. Thank you so much for giving us such fabulous information. And thank you all for listening. You've been tuned into Of Consuming Interest. My guest has been John Breo, who is the National Consumers League Vice President of Public Policy, Telecommunications, and Fraud. They have a website, fraud.org. I'm recommending it to you. Go there, get their monthly newsletter. You'll find it interesting. Uh, and then they have a, a digital uh, edition. So we thank you for joining us. You've been listening to 1500 AM. I'm Shirley Rooker. Of Consuming Interest is a public service program presented by WJLA 7 Call for Action, hosted by Shirley Rooker. Call for Action is an international nonprofit network of hotlines which offer free and confidential assistance. If you have a complaint, contact Call for Action at 301-652-HELP. That's 301-652-HELP.